Welcome to Vinylize. I'm Mark Sykes. And I'm Paul McCormick. In 1997, Paul and I took a 200-kilometer trip on a bus to London, Ontario, so we could go to a party. At 1.30 in the morning, we realized we had nowhere to sleep. So we spent the night in a coffee shop enjoying some of the freshest Boston cream and honey-dipped donuts in the history of baked goods. At 4.45 a.m., Paul fell asleep, and I wrote my first journal entry on the back of a napkin. Those words eventually became song lyrics. Song lyrics for the song Dangle, which opens our podcast. Taking a moment to reflect on paper is a great way to capture your feelings answer questions, and sort out some of the craziness of this world. I've always thought that the lyrics written by this week's artist were pages taken from a diary. Let's drop the needle on this week's album. Finalize and send it to me. Realize the songs that set you free. This week's album is Dookie by Green Day. It's mainstream success meant you didn't have to dye your hair with Kool-Aid and you didn't have to get a mohawk to listen to it. It had widespread appeal to everybody. And to prove that, it sold 11,900,000 copies in the U.S. And worldwide, it sold 19,750,000 copies. That's just insane. The album Dookie was released on February 1st, 1994. The album's only 38 minutes and 22 seconds long, but it has 14 tracks and one hidden song. The members of Green Day are Billy Joe Armstrong on guitar and vocals, Mike Durnt on bass and backup vocals, Trey Cool on drums, and it was produced by Rob Cavallo. Mark, when you're done spiking your mohawk, can you let the listeners know why you picked this album? Well, you know what, Paul? I really wanted to revisit Dookie with a vinylized session. It's high energy, fun, powerful music. It's funny, but the lyrics can also be dark, serious, and violent at times. You know, thoughts and themes should make you feel uncomfortable, but the music and the truth is relatable. You know, this blasted Green Day into the mainstream, so I want to talk about that tonight. Also, my brother had his punk rock bands like the Sex Pistols and the Dead Kennedys. I wanted my punk rock band, and Green Day was that band. Billy Joe writes some amazing lyrics. We're going to talk about them tonight. I feel like it's a part of a, a journal or a diary that he's writing. His truth can be scary. There's boredom, anxiety, relationships, sexuality, an uninterest in just being a part of the normal class. It's punk rock. At the heart. And that's why I wanted to pick Dookie as our album of the week. Fantastic choice, man. This is a juggernaut of an album. I think it still stands the test of time. Um, I can put this on and listen to it front to back, back to front, wall to wall, upside down, all day long. It doesn't matter. Um, and, it, you know, when you talk to people about this album, they usually say the same thing. Oh, for sure. It's nice to listen to an album where it's like, there's going to be vocals. Guitar, bass, and drums. Because we've done some albums in the past where it's like, okay, we're going to listen to like 49 different instruments. This week, it's like, you know what you're getting. High energy guitar, bass, and drums. And one of the things I love about this band is this three-piece band, right? It's just Billy Joe, Mike, and Trey Cool on drums. And it has a big sound to it. It's only three people, but the backup vocals that Mike Durant uh, lends to them, Billy Joe's vocals, it's it's really big. and I, I still wonder, 
is he using a guitar looper at some points in these songs? Uh, <laughs> is he doing it live? Like, I can't figure it out. I remember seeing him play live at the beginning of my, like, you know, love of Green Day and being like, how does he strum the guitar that fast? Like, how is his arm not broken? The first time you play it, try to play a guitar that fast, your whole body starts to cramp up. <laughs> when did you see them? Do you remember when and where? Uh, I've seen them live three times, uh, but later in their career, I did not see them uh, in the in the early or late 90s. But, right. uh, you know, seeing them live on TV or at a music award or like when I saw them play live at Woodstock, you know, you're just watching and you just you can't take your eyes off just the punkness of this album and, and their songs. Why do you think the band's called Green Day, Paul? OK, great question. I honestly still don't know, man. Um, I don't know if it was a... Uh, a name they just picked out of a hat or last minute because they really don't kind of care. You know, right. in their early days, they were sort of like that. There's a lot of song names that they're like, well, we're here in this city, so we're going to call the, the song name this. But I don't know. Can you tell us why? Well, you know, green can be um, a color meaning new. So I always thought it was like new day, green day, like turning over another page, like starting something fresh. But from my reading this week and while I was vinylizing, you know, apparently at this time, they liked smoking marijuana. And so having a green day just meant that you were high all day. Uh, Billy Joe has been oh. quoted saying that later on in the career, he feels like the band name is a very silly name. But at the time when they were in their late teens and they created Green Day, it probably uh, felt like it fit in with the times and their, their punk mantra. So that's where Green Day comes from. So what about the name Dookie then? Because the title of this album is Dookie. What, what does that mean? Where does it come from? Okay, so uh, apparently the band struggled with diarrhea when they were on the road. And so they'd be eating, you know, food that had spoiled when they were on the road. So they would get, you know, diarrhea. And as most young men at this age, you know, they find feces and poop and fart jokes very funny. So they were going to call the album Liquid Dookie, but uh, people thought that that was too gross. So they just settled for just Dookie. And it stuck. That's why yeah. it's called Dookie. And maybe after you hear what some of these songs are about, you realize that sometimes life can be a pile of Dookie. <laughs> Especially when you're in like lower class America and having to deal uh, with some of the situations that, that the boys in this band are dealing with. Um, yeah, life can just be a pile of Dookie. It's interesting you mentioned that because when I was doing my research, I was looking at uh, Fantasy Studios where they recorded this album. Um, some of the clubs that they played on played in early in the days where they're from Berkeley, California. And it's not like a happy go lucky place. It was kind of rough. And that's just from the pictures I saw. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but it looked rough and it kind of makes sense when they're writing these songs about, you know, burning out or kind of feeling depressed. Where am I going in this world? I can understand that. Yeah, you're, you're shaped by your environment, right? So if, you, if you're if you walking down the street, you see a bunch of homeless people or broken down shops or burnt down cars, um, you know, that's going to be that's going to feed your, your, your artistry and your music and your lyrics into what you're, you know, wanting to write about. And it also made me wonder, just based on that, I don't think they ever had like a, a positive male role model, like that really took them to that level. Like, from what I read, they didn't really have anybody that took them under the wing and said, hey, um, you know what, don't give up, guys, or you know what, maybe tone back the drug use a bit. They didn't really seem to have any of that. And mm -hmm. I 
And I'm still amazed at how they were successful giving the conditions that they were living with, um, sorry, living in, the drug habits that they had, the people that they're surrounded by. It doesn't really look like a recipe for success, but somehow they came out on top and, and bigger. It's pretty amazing. What do you think of the album artwork on this uh, on this album? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really think it does represent Green Day at the time. I think it's yes. simple. It's low budget. Um, it's fun, chaotic. I think it's purposeful, though. It's very detailed. Um, the artist, his name is Richie Bucker. He's kind of a, a punk bass player in the same circles that Green Day played in. And so that's how they knew him. This is a picture of Berkeley's Telegraph Avenue. And if you look really closely, everything has purpose in this um, scene of chaos and, and destruction. You'll see a pig's head from Lord of the Flies. Um, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne's in there. Yeah. Bucker's emblem that he drew for his albums are in there. Like everything's hidden and I love it. It's a bunch of little Easter eggs. And um, I'm going to drop in our Facebook page a link to a website that will kind of give you um, a walkthrough of all the pictures on this album. It, it reminds me, there's a book called Go Dogs Go. It's in the Dr. Seuss series, but it's not a Dr. Seuss book. And it's about mm -hmm. these dogs going. Um, and at the end, there's like a party and a tree and all these dogs and the artwork and just the vibe of that mm -hmm. front cover and that book. If you've ever read Go Dogs Go, is kind of like the front cover of Dookie minus all of the poo. You had the coolest bedroom because your parents <laughs> let you do anything and it was plastered. It was a literal collage of yes, yes. Um, rock music, Star Wars, um, your poetry, <laughs> your songs. It was chaotic. Um, yes. And I remember, I think you had the Dookie poster on the front of your door, right? I did. And actually the Dookie poster actually has more artwork than the album. And at the yeah. bottom, there's actually three dogs on the roof of a building smoking marijuana. And I guarantee you that that's, you know, the three bandmates. Yeah, Green Day. Yeah. And you actually see like Billy Joe's blue guitar. I, I love it, man. There's so, like I said, there's so many little Easter eggs. <laughs> How about um, on the back of the cover? Oh, you've got yeah. Ernie, right? So yes. in Canada the, and Europe, we saw... Uh, this picture of a bunch of people in a concert and you see Ernie from Sesame Street as a puppet on somebody's hand. Well, in the States, they had to take that out for fear of getting sued. So all the it. albums that were released, they didn't have Ernie, but we did. You know, I forgot it was Ernie. I thought it was Elmo, but you're totally right. It was <laughs> Ernie. It was totally Ernie. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, hey, if this, was, if this was released on vinyl, it was released on a CD, but where would you put the break? Um, on vinyl if this uh, album came out on vinyl um i would be putting the break after pulling teeth and Ooh, nice. when you flip it over yeah basket case would start off um the other side uh, i liked pulling teeth because of its placement in the lineup leading up to then um right. it kind of shifts down a couple gears and it's it's an easy listen if you know what i mean Very cool. um so this, so that's kind of where I like would like to end that. And then when you flip it over, it's basket case and, you know, it's coming right your, out of the gate. You get your B-side hit, which you love. Right? I love I'm it. Getting you know you, it. I'm getting to know you, I'm getting to know you. Mr. Predictable. <laughs> um, here, listen to this idea. What about because it's a punk album, the first side of the record is the entire album. <laughs> and then the second side is complete silence, except for the hidden song. <laughs> Or it's all side one is the album, and then side two 
is the album again. <laughs> they would have, dude, I guarantee they would have gone for that. Had you mentioned that back in the day, because they do funny things like that. Um, I think they had a brain shaped CD, right? Yes, they did. They had a lot of uh, cool prints had, for CDs and they records. They do a lot of, for some of these albums for Dookie, they've got a lot of different ones out there. There's a translucent green one. Mm. And from what I can, from what I can read, it's, uh, it's the original for the radio stations and contest winners. But then I think they came out with a reissue where they did it again. There's a pink album out there. There is an album with the actual Dookie album art. So it's just one big picture of the whole thing. Um, the rarest one is probably the Dookie Brown album. And this oh is goodness. Mark. It's Dookie Brown. When you look at this thing, <laughs> you kind of dry heave in your mouth. Is it scented? Dude, I don't, I don't want to find out, man. But it was for their 20th anniversary. Only 2000 right. were made. So good luck finding that. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of the album, I do want to talk quickly about the recording process because there's some interesting stuff in here. So um, after their second album, uh, you know, a lot of people wanted to sign Green Day to a major label. Uh, they just didn't click with a lot of people. They met uh, Rob Cavallo and they felt like he was the only person that they could really talk to and trust. So they decided to go um, with, I think it's uh, Reprise Records. Mm -hmm. And if, fun little fact here, fun fact, fun fact. Fun facts. <laughs> that's founded by Frank Sinatra. Yeah, 1976. Isn't that crazy? That is pretty crazy. So um, they go into the studio at uh, Fantasy uh, in Berkeley, California. Um, did you know Journey recorded Don't Stop Believing at that studio? Did not know that. And there's a room in that studio called the house that Credence built because Credence, is it Credence Clearwater Revival? CCR um, actually um, helped the fantasy name uh, create a lot of money that allowed them to open up this studio that had four recording rooms. And so in one of those rooms, Green Day recorded Dookie. Um, it took them three weeks to record because they came in and they had all the songs written. All they had to do was play. After recording, they got a mix and they didn't like it. And they said, take it back. We want you to remix it. So they got Jerry Finn to come in. And this guy's really important because he's got a really uh, great way to make guitars sound really warm. He's worked with bands like Blink 182, some 41. And him and Rob. So Jerry and Rob actually get known as like a dynamic duo when it comes to what it becomes known as pop punk, not just punk. And they're instrumental in the development of this type of music. Isn't that amazing? That's so insane. Did it, did it blow your head off? Are <laughs> it, you left me <laughs> it left me speechless. I'm still back on CCR and why they redid their whole album, man. I'm like, what? You know what? I sorry, I didn't mean to like just blow through the whole recording process there. And uh and I, I I've gotta realize sometimes conversations are two-way. Um should should we actually talk together about the meat and potatoes of the album? You know what? I'd love to do that with you. Let's have a conversation, okay? Instead of you just speaking at me, let me speak at you a bit and we'll just switch it up. Bark, bark. I'm gonna bark at you because there's gonna be a lot of dookie tonight. All right, so we've got a we've got an album called Dookie, it's got 14 tracks one hidden song 39 minutes long it starts with burnout paul yeah full energy right it's big i think it's describing his youth or, or maybe a part of it anyways just kind of sitting around getting high wasting away time um, not really feeling motivated because of all that and we described sort of what 
their lifestyle look like, kind of a bit of squalor. Um, I think this song also sets the tone for what you should expect for the rest of the album. Definitely. I think this is saying this is punk. His first line is, I declare that I don't care no more. I'm burning up and out and growing bored. That's just kind of like the definition of what's happening on this album. And I love his lyric that apathy rained on me, mm-hmm. soggy dreams, and I'm drowning, but I don't mind. Almost like he doesn't mind being taken over by something so horrible. This isn't going to be the only time I say this, but he is a brilliant uh, mind. And when he writes, it, it, it captures you. He, he, um, he writes so, so well, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I love the very beginning of this album where it's like you hear the... And yeah. then it begins, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, do you ever find yourself playing air guitar along with most of these songs? Oh, you know what? I found out that the back of my steering wheel sounds exactly like Trey Cool's drums. So all week long I'm driving, I'm like, and like everyone in my car is like, can you stop playing the drums on the back of the steering wheel? But I'm like, it sounds exactly like that drum sound. Just try it out. Uh, Song number two is Having a Blast, um, which is a serious song. It's about a suicidal bomber, someone who actually is going to like kill a bunch of people because he's tormented by something that's happened or he's not happy um, with maybe a broken relationship. But it's interesting that he calls the song that's so serious having a blast. It's kind of like when you and I mm. used to joke around about when we would leave places, we would say like, mm. I'm going to make like Tom and Cruz. Or, I'm going to make like I'm, a banana and peel out of here. Yeah, or make like a bread truck and haul buns. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like a suicidal diver and hit the road. Um, so I feel like, you know, as much as he's talking about serious things in the song, he can still like have a laugh when he creates the title of a song. Yeah, it, and it's one of those songs that seems lighthearted, but it's got a very serious undertone to it, which you won't really pick up if you don't dissect the lyrics. And you'll probably end up singing along to it. I love that this song showcases all of their talents. You know, the drums sound awesome. The harmonies, the bass guitar. It's really easy to pick up on what you want to hear. So if you're into listening to the drums, you'll hear that. Or the bass, where I find on some other songs on other albums, it's hard to listen to that drum beat that you want to pick up on you know the way this has been mixed and engineered it's awesome good job jerry finn we appreciate hearing everything we need to hear jerry jerry Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) you know what uh there's a line that keeps getting repeated in this song to me it's nothing you know Mm. and it's about that emptiness that nothingness that makes people make poor choices whether it's you know taking a gun into a school or strapping a bomb onto themselves and um it's sad when youth don't connect with things you know Mm. like they don't have that sports team or that creative outlet or a caring adult to care about them and guide them through a hard situation so in the end they kind of feel like a nothingness that's so true, right? Like a positive peer group, uh, a family um, yes. in the picture. You know, usually I think kids will be okay if they have a couple things, either a positive peer group or a family there. Um, you know, poor use of free time can kind of kick in. And if you don't have that caring family or a positive peer group, like, what are you doing? Well, I think for uh, Billy Joe and Mike and Trey, it was music. You know, they were playing clubs mm-hmm. really young. You know, like they, what, were six- to, they were they were playing in clubs where they, you know, people 16? were giving them beers and they could they weren't even old enough to drink beer, so they'd pour them out and put other beverages that they liked in them that mm-hmm. weren't didn't have alcohol in them. Like that, that's that's crazy. Like what age were you are you talking about? Sixteen years old? Um, I 
I don't have it written down specifically, so I don't want to vine a lie. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say it's around that time. Yeah, yeah. You know, 15, yeah. 16 years old yeah. for sure. I mean, the first band they were in was called Sweet Children, mm-hmm. which then, it, you know, pretty much turns into Green Day, uh, minus, you know, some people leaving and some new people coming. We got song number three. It's called Chump. Um, and it's got this really interesting instrumental interlude that goes into the next song, which is Longview. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, you know, hating your ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend, which we probably all felt at one point, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because you are so in tune with picking up lyrics and their meaning. Um, right. I think when it comes to poetry, you read into it very well. I don't. I need these simple songs to just kind of jump out at me and, and be very blunt and obvious. Right. And this is kind of one of those songs where it's about a girlfriend leaving him for another guy. And maybe it's a mixture of jealousy and anger, you know, yeah. like he's, he's saying, I don't know you, but I think I hate you. Um, <laughs> it's strange how you've become my biggest enemy and I've never <laughs> seen your face. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of like, he didn't see it coming and he feels like a chump. And yeah. at the end of the song, it kind of sounds like he's trashing a room the way his guitar speeds <laughs> up. It's kind of cool. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. And he even says like, you know, um, this is a circumstance that doesn't make much sense. And maybe I'm just dumb. And then mm-hmm. he goes, I'm a chump. And then does, it goes into that musical interlude. And it's funny because they do this on this album. And then if you fast forward into the future, um, Jesus of Suburbia is five songs in one song. So they eventually stop like putting a track break in between and they start writing songs that have multiple songs inside of it. And I wonder if this is like the germ or the seed of that idea. Like we can put songs together and it works, right? Would would that work for you if you had to choose a break, Mark? Or would that drive you insane? In in the songs? Like Jesus of Suburbia where it's five in one. You know, we're going to lose some listeners here when I tell you that that's (laughs) one of my least favorite Green Day albums. And it really bothered me that I couldn't, get to some of the songs inside of Jesus of Suburbia and just listen to them on their own. I had to listen to the other parts of the song that I didn't want to listen to. So um, as a consumer, I want the break, but as the artist, you want to put it together. So, you know, you got to meet somewhere in the middle probably. So up next, we have their number one release, their first single. Yes. Right. Long view. Long view. Um, I mean, the baseline written by Mike, I heard he did it while he's on acid or L- LSD or something. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, the next morning when he woke up, he couldn't totally remember what he, he had played. <laughs> so they, they kind of tried to piecemeal it together. And this is what you hear now on the album. I mean, nowadays everyone has recording software, so you wouldn't forget, right? But uh, back then, you know, you wouldn't. So you, you really would have to write it down and remember. I feel like this is one of the most famous 90s bass lines up mm-hmm. there with maybe like the baseline from come as you are mm-hmm. um from nirvana like when you hear this you're like i know this is a 90s song i know this mm-hmm. is green day right i think it's a good example of like how their songs are similar to grunge because they do touch on loneliness and depression and unhappiness but um it's kind of how green day said it you know he's basically saying he's so extroverted he's saying i masturbate to the point of boredom and as a result, he shocks. And I think it also connects at the same time because a lot of people could probably relate to that, at, at, you know? And he's so, yeah. I, I can't believe how extroverted he is in a lot of his songs, just putting it out there and saying it how it is. When a lot of yes. the other grunge bands were kind of trying to say the same thing, but it was to me shrouded in more kind of 
darkness, you know? It, it's interesting. I want to say that he's an extrovert that's also an introvert, mm -hmm. right? Because he's like dealing with all of this anxiety and all of these feelings, but he's willing to share it through his music, like truths that you probably wouldn't tell other people. I, he's right? pretty fearless. He, he's pretty yeah, fearless yeah, like I that. I agree. Mm -hmm. So uh, Longview is actually a town in Washington. Mm -hmm. And they played some songs there, maybe even this song, and they named it after that. But also the idea of a long view at something kind of just is the definition of boredom, mm -hmm. right? Like when you're in class and you're not wanting to hear the teacher drone on and you look out the window at a long view of something and you're just like, I need to get out of this math test right now. Um, I think it's just really smart, um, a play on words with a town and an idea mm -hmm. coming together. Um, so speaking of intense boredom, what were some of your favorite things to do when you were like 16 years old, Paul? Hang out with you, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like I, I started thinking about Longview and I was like, you know, are we going to mention like, you know, the BK lounge on this podcast at some point, you know, oh, um, King. do you remember garbage mountain? Oh man. Do I ever, that was back in the day when, you know, you, your dad had a wicked video recorder right? Like a camcorder. And we would take that and we'd make the silliest videos and Garbage Mountain was one of them where probably, you know, 2 a.m. We came home after two for one pizza, right? You'd always get your pepperoni. Oh I'd always get my pineapple and there's always shenanigans. And that was one of them where we took all your neighbor's garbage in the court. And we piled it yeah. so freaking high in the middle of the court in the morning. Everybody's like, who the hell did this? And you know, there's probably me barfing in the front lawn. If any of them were detectives, they say, hey, look at these You know, guys. it's funny because the people who were doing the trash collection were either like, what the heck? This is terrible. Or they were like, wait a second. We only need to stop the truck at one spot. Right? And then they were like, we're done. We're in done. hindsight, it was genius. It brought the community closer. It did. We should actually. And it brought rats. Um, <laughs> speaking of rats, uh, track number five is Welcome to Paradise, which was actually a song that was on their second album, Kerplunk. Uh, they brought it back for Dookie. They re-recorded it for some of that new sound and that new mix, and it does sound terrific. Yeah, Rob Cavallo did an amazing job. This is what he was brought in to do. Um, kind of keep that quality of the raw sound of, of Green Day, that punk sound, but, but also boosting it to a, a level that has a big budget kind of recording studio sound beside it, behind it. Um, you know... Listeners, listen to the original Kerplunk um, version of, of Welcome to Paradise, and then listen to Dookie's. I, I love this comparison because on the first one, you'll hear like the snare is so heavy. It comes through more than anything else. You hear a tambourine, and on the other one, it's really smoothed out. On Dookie, the drums come out only when they need to. It's true. It, you know what it's like? It's like listening to music at my house. And then you go to someone else's house who really cares about speakers. <laughs> and then it's like you're listening to the same song. But you're like, this doesn't sound like that song I was listening to in my That's house. That's exactly what you it's know? like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm having so much fun. So it's about crime ridden, living in a crime ridden cesspool like Oakland. Um, but it's like he's writing a letter to his mom. He's saying, dear mother. And he talks about like what it's been like for the last three weeks of moving out of his house and seeing all the things that he's seen. And the song moves to six months later at the end of the song, which I really like and how he's still living um, the way he's living. We talked about writing perspective and living conditions. Mark, do you know if he actually like lived um, like in squatting conditions? Was he couch surfing or like, 
I don't know. Okay, so I I've read a couple of different things this week, and I like I said, I don't know what is truth here and what's not. But I heard that he did live in some what sound seemed like warehouses, yeah, yeah. punk warehouses they called them. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what that is. I don't know if there's actually bedrooms. Um, you know, I don't know if they had to pay rent or if that was free. Uh, one of his girlfriends around this time was living with him once in a while in these places. So, you know, when I hear like the crack streets and the broken homes, um, you know, it's a really great visual to the despair of what that place was. Yeah, I, I kind of imagine like a warehouse that's abandoned. You know, you got that shell yeah. of a concrete building and you have people probably lighting garbage can fires in there and smoking dope, shooting yeah. up and, and crashing. Can I vinylize for a second with you? Please do. I always thought the lyric was, uh, pay attention to the crack streets and the broken gnomes. Hmm. And then when I read it, it's homes. And I always remember you telling me that story about that gnome that was outside of your house. That was always so weird. And if you're out there, please just identify yourself. Let me know. I'm still wondering what the hell that's about. Somebody would randomly leave a freaking gnome on my lawn. Was it you? honestly it was not me it was not me but when i used to think that this song talked about broken gnomes i always used to think about picking you up at your house and being like am i gonna see this gnome that paul tells me about um welcome to paradise buddy what's the next song (laughs) pulling teeth yeah um i i I really like the placement in the lineup um because it kind of shifts down a couple gears and it's almost like an easy listen if you will like it's like a four four kind of time um Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I, I just really, really liked it. Um, do you think it's about anybody specific or does it just... Well, yeah, I, I actually, I can tell you a little story, but I just want to say that the first 20 seconds I love up into that drum fill, I think it's like a great intro to a song. So apparently uh, Mike was having a pillow fight with his girlfriend at the time. And when he came around a corner, she like hit him really hard with a pillow and he fell back and broke both of his elbows. Mm-hmm. And so they wrote this song about an abusive girlfriend, even though his girlfriend wasn't abusive, but kind of like taking that idea and then writing a song about it. And that, you know, it almost reminds me of that movie Misery, where he's like, you know, I'm going to tell her that I love her so she doesn't hurt me. You know, uh, I, I kind of took a different, similar line of, of, of thought to it, but a bit different. Um, to me, it's like somebody who's in a relationship that can't get out. And, mm. and I've seen that before where you're like, why are you with this person? Your relationship is toxic and they both kind of know it's not good. They both know it's not going to work out in the long run, but I think honest to God, it has something to do with like that hormone oxytocin when they call, (laughs) they're dreading that call, but it's a spike in that brain and they're like, oh my God. So it's probably 90% bad, but that 10% good. Um, Cause he makes reference in these lyrics saying she, she keeps me on my knees and make sure I'm okay when she comes around. Like, but it's mostly bad. Yeah, but it sounds like she's almost like trapped him because he looks out the window at one point, looking out the window at uh, people passing by. Like he's like trapped yes. in there, which kind of sounds scary. He's like a prisoner. Well, I um, think mentally it's yeah, con- like, what's I about? think mentally it's controlling. When you're in a relationship like that, okay. like you want to get out, but you can't. And you'd much rather be with other people, much rather do other things. But you know what? There's that little bit for whatever reason, you just can't get out of it. And I think it's, you know, the oxytocin in the brain just saying, when that person either yells at you or calls you or texts you, it gets you going again. It just keeps you, just keeps you for that much longer. So the song is called Pulling Teeth, which is kind of like an idea of like making somebody talk, right? Pulling out their teeth. Um, Do you know how long the song Mm, is? A lot of these songs are short. I'm going to wing it and say a minute and 44 seconds. Okay. um, 
Do you know what time it is when you have to go to the dentist? No. What? Two thirty. Oh, bro. <laughs> and the song oh, is actually two thirty. No, it's not. It is. It is. It is. It is. It is. So pulling teeth, you're gonna have a two thirty, and the song is two thirty. So are they having fun with that? I think they you might tell be. me, man. Coincidence or planned? I think it's a plan, dude. That is some sick vinylizing right there, right? I'm impressed, dude. That that is next okay. level. And <laughs> I'm gonna turn you into a basket case. <laughs> you are. You are. That's where I would have put the break, and I would have put basket case next. When you flip that album over, um, it's your second single. Uh, this is what catapulted mm-hmm. Green Day into the mainstream. Um, they mm-hmm. had so much radio play from this song. And I think it's like them, bands like Offspring and their their album Smash, that kind of made listening to punk okay. You didn't have to be part of a certain group. You didn't have to have a mohawk or you know a leather jacket with safety pins in it. You could be anybody, you know? Yeah. This probably turned their punk into pop punk. It made it popular mm-hmm. punk, right? It made it for everybody. You know, I love that the the song just starts off with vocals. I would say that this is probably um, one of the top 10 recognizable songs of the 90s. I mean, I, I mentioned a bass line earlier, but this would be the song. Like when you hear this song, you're like 90s, Green Day. I know where I was when this song came I remember out. where I was, man. I was at these high school dances we had. We would crowd surf to this. This came on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you're going crowd surfing. Yeah. It's, and 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 you you mentioned Mike Dern's back backing vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, his backing vocals on this song are really cool. I really like it. So just do a listen listen for that. I like that it also still sounds like a, a journal entry. You know, he's asking like, a- "Am I just paranoid? Am I just mm-hmm. stoned? Like, what's going on? Am I a melodramatic mm-hmm. fool?" Um, he's just really trying to express himself. And actually, before we recorded tonight, you told me something cool about this video. Yeah, where it was filmed. Because if you watch the music video for Basket Case. They, the band wanted to film it in a mental in a mental institution, so they actually went there and it was um, condemned. But they still found like patient records in there. They found you know old wheelchairs and mm, it's kind of creepy, but that's where it was filmed. Amazing song number eight is she, which I read in a few places that it's quoted as Billy Joe's one of Billy Billy Joe's favorite songs, mm-hmm. um, and it's. It's it's an interesting song. I mean, it starts with just bass and drums, which are which are so wicked, and then you get into these really interesting lyrics. Um, like I like the lyric. It says, "She she's figured out that all her doubts were someone else's point of view." So if someone's been like filling your head with knowledge and making you not feel important or valued, and then you realize, wait a second, I do have value. That's just their point of view. That's really freeing. Is this about the same girl that like the songs Chump and Sassafras Roots is written for? I, I did read that it is the same girl from Sassafras Roots. Um, she ends up leaving him and then going... Ecuador or something, right? Like Ecuador, yeah, right? And then he later on meets his, his future wife. But um, apparently there's seven songs that are written about this girl. Six or seven songs over, over a bunch of different mm-hmm. albums. I don't have the list in front of me, but... You can definitely check that out. Cool. I love, oh, you know, we talked about his lyrics, right? So I really like how he talks about her being a social tool without a use. Um, you know, are you locked up in a world that's been planned out for you? A sullen riot. I love mm-hmm. it. I just, I love these like pictures and the way that he's, um, he's building it up. Should we move to song number eight or song number nine? Sassafras Roots. What is it? What is a Sassafras Roots? I don't know. You know what that means? 
<laughs> is it glossary it's time? time to glossarize <laughs> hey so actually last week we said we were going to come up with a jingle did you come up with the jingle because i did you did too yeah okay you give me yours i'll give me you mine and then we'll let alex the producer All right, here, decide. here's my jingle ready Okay. Glossarize, glossarize, time to learn. Excellent. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I was thinking that because we only have like a limited budget that we would just use the uh, vinylized song, but just change the lyrics. <laughs> so it'd be like, glossarize, define it for me. You know, I never read a dictionary. Oh, very nice. <laughs> And I apologize for singing there. Can we maybe we could let the listeners vote on this somehow, or or come up with their own yeah, glossarized yeah. jingle? All right. So what is a sassafras root? Well, I'm glad you asked, Mark. A sassafras root is a botanical treat. It is a uh, tree. <laughs> it is. Oh. It's the main ingredient in okay. traditional root beer. So no. yeah, A and W, Barks, Dads, Hires, Mug root beer. Sassafras is in all of that. Um, and you know where you can find wow. it. You can find it along the border. Uh, like south, okay, conspiracy time. You can only find sassafras like south of the border from Canada and the US, okay? Right around Ontario, you go southeast of the border, it's all over the place. North, north of that, it's hard to find. I always thought sassafras was like when you're giving someone sass. Mm. You know, don't give me that sassafras. Yeah. Stop giving me that sassafras. Mm. So, yeah, so this song is about wasting time uh, and hanging out with someone else who wants to be unproductive. And apparently it's about that girl who he wrote about in the song She, which is track number eight. But it's interesting. They're like inviting each other over to hang out and waste time with. But I love when artists start to like repeat an idea, but change the beginning of the idea. So he's like, you know, um, you know. Smoking cigarettes, wasting your time. I'm just a parasite wasting your time, applying myself to wasting your time. I think that's that's interesting. And and the idea of, you know, burnout and some of the other songs mm -hmm. on the album, this whole idea of wasting your time, wasting your life away, um it kind of just fits in with the theme of the album. The next song is another big one, another huge hit, When I Come Around. Huge. Uh that was their fourth huge. single released. And, you know, to my knowledge, she wrote this about his girlfriend uh at the time, Adrian Nesser. And she's actually now his wife. And they met in 1990. Yeah when Green Day did a show in Minnesota. And it's kind of about the long distance and how that's really hard, right? And so he wrote this to say, you know, when I come around, I'm gonna make it up to you. Mm, okay, interesting. So I, I heard something else, but I actually really like that idea. I heard it was about someone who wanted to be in a more open relationship. You know, he's just roaming for the moment, sleazing my backyard, so don't get so uptight because you've been thinking about ditching me. So he's in a, a relationship where they both have self-doubt. He's thinking she wants to ditch him and he just wants to be, you know, in a more open relationship. But I, I really like actually what you told me. That's amazing. Um, this is one of those songs where I actually heard the riff mm -hmm. and I watched the video and I figured it was the first song I ever figured out how to play by myself by just watching where uh, Billy was putting his hands on the guitar. Cool, man. Because it is a, it's a pretty, pretty sick, Slick riff, right? And that, I can't even talk right now. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Is that video the one where they're just like walking around downtown or something? Yeah, yeah. They're just walking around and then they end up, I think they end up back in the 
same place where they started. I kind of like what they're wearing, um, like they're, the way their dress is so 90s. You know, when I look at that, I'm just like, uh, yeah, we would have worn stuff like that. He took, he took like, um, you know, the thing that holds a plug in a sink? Yeah, a plug. He took those and he used to wear them as necklaces. And then he, he drilled like a hole through like a pink guitar pick. And I saw that and I was like, oh, the, oh, the chain. I went to the hardware store. You're and, talking about the chain. Yeah, okay, I, ended yeah, up, yeah. I ended up wearing that exact same necklace. <laughs> I was so into his style. Um, I love that in the chorus, the, all the music drops out when he says, when I come around. Mm -hmm. That's really catchy. I think that's a really um, um, interesting part of the song. Next song is uh, the start of three really short songs. All of these songs are about uh, one and a half minutes long. So you've got uh, Coming Clean, uh, which uh, again could be a journal entry. It's about someone who's 17 who's strung out on confusion. Um, and they finally are figuring out what it means to be a man. But maybe their definition of being a man is not what society's mm -hmm. um, definition of being a man is. He certainly feels that way um, because he'll call out people that he thinks are being abrupt or, or, or over the top because of, they're trying to be macho at concerts. Um, he'll invite them up on stage mm -hmm. and be like, oh, yeah, 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 you're a big tough guy, aren't you? Hey, come sing a song. He'll have him up on stage and then buddy can't sing for his life, you know? He loves doing that stuff. Um, right. And I, I think it's also about like the song is kind of like defiance against the norm, which I this is kind of the foundation of Green Day and punk, right? If it's going to be against what's normal and it's going to cause ripples, let's talk about that. Um, mm -hmm. And for example, like that punk rock attitude, he took Pansy Division on tour um, and they knew them from their days with the Lookout Records label. But mm -hmm. it's just that he would cause that sort of... Um, that shock value. And, and I love that it's a, it's a combination of shock and it also draws people in. Right. Right. I think it's hard to do that. And, and they've mastered that. I don't know if we want to talk about this, but I read that this might be a song about being uh, bisexual. Mm -hmm. And there are other songs in their catalog that do talk about, um, you know, dressing up in women's clothes or, you know, you know, playing around with both, both genders. Um, so I wonder if that is also a part of this song as well. Um, I wasn't able to get any quotes from any of the bandmates, mm -hmm. so I can't say that for sure, but it is an interesting idea that someone had written on a, on a page and I thought, you know, we should talk about it, but it doesn't need to define the band, uh, or the people in the band, because sometimes you write a song too, that is from a different, it's not you speaking, right? You're writing it, but it's not you speaking. Right. Um, well, I also remind myself when I'm reviewing this album, like they were probably 16, 17, 18 years old when they're doing this. And considering Billy is who he is, he writes about usually about himself and he's extroverted. He's going to say it. So if he's ever had a bisexual thought, he might say that. But that doesn't mean that he's bisexual. And I think when like certain like Rolling Stone would just say he's bisexual. Or, right. or, you know, other interviewers would say, oh, he's, he's bisexual. No, I think he's just kind of exploring his thoughts. He's being super open and honest about it. Um, but it's not like a David Bowie situation, you know, where he's dressing up in drag and he's overtly, um, you know, gay or bisexual. I, I'm just not buying it totally, but I don't know. Right. Yeah, it, it, was, it was something interesting to read this week, but let's move on. Mm -hmm. So we've got uh, track number 12. Amenius sleepus. Do you know what? It, this is kind of a glossary too. Do you know what this means in Latin? Mm, um, it means sleep with the buyers. Yeah. 
And so this song is the only song that's uh, credited to Mike Durnt as writing the lyrics. And it seems to me it's about visiting, meeting a friend from your childhood or your past who hasn't turned out the way you thought. And when you see them, you kind of almost um, become sick at who you were or who you could have been. You know, it wasn't long ago that I was just like you. And now I think I'm sick and I want to go home Mm -hmm. when they see that person. And so sleep with the buyers. I wonder if this person has like become really down and out with drugs and then sleep with the buyers means like that's what you do to get your fix. Oh, neat. Because I was was trying to put that together. I don't know. Like, I think the song, like you said, is about seeing an old friend and going through the pleasantries of, hey, how are you? Yeah, everything's good. Cool. I didn't put together the dealers thing until you just mentioned it. Right. And then I, the bridge really talks about, you know, where did all the little kid go? Did you lose it in a hateful fight? Mm. And so is that the fight against your addiction? Wow. That you lose your childhood in, you know, and you get to a really low place. And maybe in a way he sees that friend. And he's like, I'm so glad I, I met, you know, Billy when I was 10. And we, you know, uh, started doing this music thing because I could have been just like you. So, so cool that you see it that way, man. Um, okay. I, I think that when you're finishing the song coming clean and it goes into enemas sleepius um it's so quick it's a quick little pause and then the drums kick in it tricks me into thinking it's the same song and and you quickly <laughs> realize okay it's not but it's got a great baseline midway it's a, it's a good song good song to listen to it's interesting that you said that because i was wondering if it's the same notes played in like a different order cuz i felt the same way too mm. like you know if it was like a you know, a C D G pattern. Mm-hmm. Are they just like playing it backwards? Mm-hmm. I wonder, I, I haven't looked into it, but I, I feel like I'm on the same page with you. Uh, song number 13 is in the end. Mm-hmm. What this is about his mom's new husband. Okay. I'll tell you about it. So um, his dad died in 1982 of esophageal cancer uh, when Billy was 10. And his mom then remarried and him and his five other siblings uh, did not like this person. So this song is about the way he feels about her in that relationship and that person. At least mm. that's what was uh, that's what was read this week during the vinylized session. I remember the next song, um, F.O.D., as it's uh, titled yes. on the tracks. This this kind of meant something to you in high school. I remember that because you kind of introduced me to that song. I'm like, you know, I. Hey, I'm predictable. I like the big songs I'm hearing on the radio. And you're like, no, man, listen to this. Mm -hmm. Well, this breaks away from all of the other sound on the album. It starts with an acoustic guitar. It's different from everything else on the album. And it's about holding back your feelings about something that you hate, but then you can't hold it back anymore. So the the song explodes lyrically Mm -hmm. when the music explodes into a full punk song again. And so, you know, he says, I've got something on my mind. It's been there for quite some time. This time I'm on to you. You know, where's the other face, the face I've seen before, and your head trips are boring me. He's talking about people who are fake to him mm-hmm. that he doesn't want to handle anymore. And maybe he's talking to the fans that love them that started hating them after they signed with a major label. So true, right? So he's telling all those fans, those fake fans or those fake people who only love them when they're underground mm-hmm. to FOD, which is, of mm-hmm. course, an acronym for... Yeah, F off and die. F. F off and die. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a great song. It's so cool. I think um, people out there, if, if you ever win the lottery and you're wondering what song to blast on your way out the, the door, right? When you're like, screw this place. <laughs> you guys have done nothing for me. Consider this one. Did you know I, I worked in a factory 
where somebody won the lottery. Really? And they did that. <laughs> tell me, tell me. I was I, I was working in a quick story. I was working in a, a factory where they built like windows and awnings, and my boss also kept his hot rod car like in the bay. And he came in and he'd won. He hadn't won very much. I think he'd won like twenty grand or something like that. <laughs> and he was like, "F you, F you, F you. You're cool. See you later." And like, opened up the bay door and like went and like smoke from the tires like billowed <laughs> into the factory. And he just like peeled out and was gone. And then at the end of that summer, he actually came back to get his job. <laughs> and that is a true story of FOD right there. Um, then we got a hidden song. What do you think of the hidden song? Truthfully, I don't like it. I think it's yeah. I think either. it's silly. I, I I get it. Like it's being silly. Um, does nothing for me. I think it's the only cool thing is that it's a hidden track. Yeah, and it's and it's really rough. Everything else on the album is so good, yeah. and you can just see this is like a one take. It's got an interesting introduction, but I'm gonna maybe blow your mind here. I think this is the sequel to the song Longview. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because there's one lyric in Longview that I think Trey Cool actually says, mm. or they steal from this song, where he says, All by myself. Really? And this song is called All By and Myself. It's sung by Trey and, Cool. And, and what this, so All By Myself is sung by Trey Cool. Uh, Longview is sung by Billy Joe. But there's a backing vocal in Longview that sounds like All By Myself. And they say, By Myself. That's the lyric that they're singing in Longview. And that song has a reference to masturbation, and so does this. I'm going to have to review so that one. Hmm. You're, you're going to have to vinylize yeah. that one. So before we end this album, um, you know, I, I wrote a word that describes like every song. So you've got burnout, nothing, being a chump, uh, lost. You know, feelings of alone, abuse, anxiety, doubt, wasting time, wandering, confusion, uh, sick of yourself, and FOD. Mm -hmm. And if those words aren't the mantra to punk rock, I don't know uh, what is. <laughs> and that is Dookie for you. It's a pile of Dookie. Um, Paul, is there anything else you want to talk about Green Day before we wrap this up into a nice little bow? For Green Day fans. Did we miss you anything? No, well, I want to direct Green Day fans or anybody that's listened to this podcast and Kind of want to see more about these guys greenday.fm um, i found it a really helpful website to go to uh, you can check out their album sales or you can go through their promo posters from every era so they've got like you know the posters you'd see on the side of um like a, a light pole uh, at, at an intersection you can check them out and it's kind of like art it's kind of going through like an online art archive but it's actually you know just designed to show us what's out there i love it I really like the idea that Trey Cool's dad converted a bookmobile. Mm -hmm. So when they went early touring, they would tour around in this bookmobile that was like their touring van. How cool I is that? I love it. I want to say that I didn't know that they had two albums before this one. I thought Dookie was their original, uh, but because you're such a super fan, you um, kind of told me back in the day that they, were, they had two before this on Lookout Records on that label. Um, it was Kerplunk. And is it 39 Special? So... The first one is actually three shorter albums put together to make one album. Right, they had a bunch of EPs. So there's like a thousand stuff, hours, yeah. thirty nine smooth mm -hmm. out, and then slappy hours. I can't remember yes. the title, but it's something like that. It, they put it all together. So, uh, what song is going on the epic playlist, Paul? Because I picked the album, you got to pick the song. Oh man, this is so tough, and you you got to admit it's a tough one to pick. Um, yeah, that's why I'm glad you're well, doing it. If I'm in the captain's seat this week. Uh, 
<laughs> Captain? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I think we're going to go with Welcome to Paradise. Welcome to yeah. Paradise. All right. Okay. I, I, I think it's a great choice. High energy, really fun. And it uh, <gasps> kind of just lets you know where they're writing. Oh, oh what? my gosh. Hold on. Stop the press. <laughs> you picked the wrong song? <laughs> no. We forgot a major oh. part. Woodstock what? 94. Oh, dude. Yeah. yeah we yeah, would check. be. You know, we got to post it. We'll post it. Okay, right. but I, I'm going to talk about it for 20 seconds then, okay? Um, okay, and go. <laughs> you're going to see Billy Joel's crazy uh, energy <laughs> just jamming away on the guitar. You're going to want to play air guitar like that for the rest of your life if you don't already. <laughs> you're going to see mud being flown towards the stage. It is insanity, and I'm not exaggerating. And what I love about this is just how Billy Joel keeps playing through it all. I mean, complete musicianship punk rock at the same time like hit him with anything you're not gonna stop him i don't know how his guitar continues to play like the pickups in it are covered in mud yet he comes through and because they've been doing so much touring up to this time like they are on point they're on time they don't miss a beat and you're you're, you're watching 35 minutes of this thinking damn you're doing so good and uh chaos breaks loose at about the 25th minute like you'll see it for yourselves um it really heats up at around the 24th minute. Um, you see him detuning his guitar at 27. He's throwing mud back at them. The mic, the bassist lays down and gives up. Billy Joel murders the mic. It's insanity. Check it out. Woodstock 94. Okay. We're going to post it. We're going to post it. So with another song added to our epic playlist on Spotify, this brings us to the end of the Green Day Dookie Vinylized Session. Join the conversation on our Facebook page and enjoy related videos and links, even Woodstock. Also check out Dead Man Design. We'll see you next time when we pick a new album and we tempt you to vinylize. <laughs>